0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast with me, Danworth. Today's guest is actor and writer Simon Farnaby, best known for appearing in a huge array of hit shows such as The Detectorists, Ghosts and Horrible Histories, as well as co-writing the film Paddington 2. He chatted to us about his school days, including the teachers that left a lasting impression, how school helped bring out his creative streak, his new book, The Warrior in My Wardrobe, that's out now, and why he doesn't have the best memories of school trips. All that and lots more on the latest Tez My Best Teacher podcast. Hi Simon, welcome to the My Best Teacher podcast. Great to chat with you. Um, how's your day going?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, day's going well. I've just been up to my parents in North Yorkshire for the weekend, uh, which is where I'm from originally. Um, so, nice to be back in London, although there's a bit less space around. But it's um, but I'm good. Yeah. How are you?
0: Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, can't complain. It's um, I'm on. uh, I'm actually as we're recording this, I'm in the middle of a ping affected isolation, so I haven't been out the house for about four days. Uh, Oh, you got pinged. uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't have. I I don't have it. I just got pinged. So I'm being a dutiful citizen and staying inside, um, which
1: is well. That's very
0: noble of you. It is indeed, isn't it? But um, obviously, one of the good things like that. I mean, it means we can chat. and, And you mentioned about. Yorkshire there and that's where you, you grew up so I'm assuming if we turn to your school days that's where you yeah. you started life at school, at primary school, up there
1: I did yeah I went to um, croft on Tees C of E um, which is a little village near Darlington mm. um, and um, it's very lucky actually cause it's a really small village and the school is sort of in the centre of the village Um and there's only sort of one way in and one way out of the village like so you, no one goes through it um so it was a very sort of um quiet place to go and it's funny because my my um daughters at school um in london and um my mum sent some photos of my school days and she she looked at this photo and there's me and about sort of um you know 15 other kids and she went daddy you're your class is really small in your school. And I went, that's the whole school. <laughs> <laughs> so that was there was about five people in each class, you know. And I was there from sort of five to that's probably an exaggeration. It's probably more than five. But um uh yeah, so from my primary school was um in Crofton Tees, very small school, and then um mm. and then I went to Richmond uh Secondary school, comprehensive secondary school, that, that Richmond is a bit further away. And in fact, it used to take us an hour to get there on the bus. My daughter still can't believe this. Yeah, which that is An big... hour. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to get the bus at, at um, 10 to 8, we'd have to queue up, we'd sort of go and assemble outside the church in Croft, and then, um, and then we'd get on the bus, which went very slowly. Like, he's not actually that far. But it went really slowly and picked up kids on the way from like farms and stuff. So kids would come to the end of their, their it took about an hour to get there. And then of course it takes an hour to get back. Um
0: so that yeah. was my school days. When you on the primary school, though, particularly, I mean, obviously, like you said, that was a very small school. So do you remember sort of having do you remember it quite well? And do you remember lots of sort of lot of attention from the teachers? I can imagine you'd have a very sort of good, if you liked the teachers at least, you could have a very good. Relationship there is sort of very memorable moments. I mean, is that is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I remember I I almost remember more about primary school and secondary school for some reason. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why. Mm. Maybe because it was all new. So I had Mrs. Garwood. I remember was my the first teacher I had, who was great and quite sort of strict, but um, but nice. And I and I wanted to please her. I think I was one of those kids. On at that point, I was like, "Oh, I want her to be to be happy with me." Mm. And then, um, and then I had Mrs. Mrs. Cameron, who was a lovely sort of a more elderly lady. She was like a grandma. That was my class two, and then, and then class one, as it used to be called, then was Mrs. Day. She was quite hard, very harsh, but fair. Mm. Uh and she so those are my three teachers until I was uh, you know, eleven. But I do remember yeah. I, I remember I remember each class room very vividly. And um uh I can't remember what they taught. Do you know what I mean? But but um it yeah. <laughs> seemed to work all right.
0: I was going to say, being in a small village like that, the way you described it, like there was only one way in and one way out. I imagine then the school was very integral to the community in the way that you'd get in rural areas, particularly the school is a bit of a hub. I mean, again, do you recall that, like the school being that kind of focal point for a lot of people?
1: Yeah, and it was great because the school was sort of opposite a street called South Parade. And it was just one street, you know, most of the kids lived on that street so were the Blumens and the Blackburns and, and like, so you knew everyone's houses that everyone lived in, all the kids and you would, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I was friends with the sort of four or five kids, especially, and they would all lived on that one street that were facing the school, you know, so, and then all the parents knew each other. And, um, so yeah, it really, it really was a sort of hub. And then of course they would have like bring and buy sales and and um, you know, tea, what were they called? Um coffee mornings, that's it. Bring and buy sales and you know, um the old um um usually sort of encouraged by blue Peter or something. Yes. There would be uh, yes. jumble sales and yeah, <laughs> all those sort of things. Yeah, they were always sort of at, at the school, you know. So it was it was the hub of the community, yeah.
0: Yeah, I went to school in Cornwall, a very small primary school, and, and yeah, you're absolutely right, actually, all those things, jumble sales and, and bring and buy sales and, and coffee mornings, yeah, a lot of that took place, actually, and sort of quite nice things, I suppose, like, for people to come together and be part of that in those sort of small, particularly in rural locations, like, like North Yorkshire or, or, or Cornwall, where they're good, things. Good, in London, I'm guessing, quite a different experience for your, for your daughter, maybe.
1: Yeah, there is definitely not as much of that. I mean, it's been tricky with COVID, yeah, the last two years. So it's, we were just getting started with that sort of thing. And there was a couple of things at a local school, like like talent competitions and stuff. And um, I think because I was known from horrible Histories and I was asked to judge a talent competition. That was quite a rowdy uh, evening. Um, and there was lots of competition from the parents. <laughs> it was a bit more... It was a bit more high octane than yeah. I remember. our bring, bring and buy sales. It was a bit more charged, you know. Yeah, um, and laser shows and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It was all CDs, and it was all quite complicated. And um, and the parents are a bit more sort of vocal, you know. But maybe that's because it was a talent competition, and it wasn't, you know, people selling their old woolly
0: jumpers. Yes, is it the the, the idea of fame and fortune awaiting? Is is quite a intoxicating. Reward, isn't it? So if you if you think that's gonna happen, you're gonna push your, your kid to do well. Yeah. And you, when you talk about school then, overall, do you sort of you sort of you said in a way that you didn't remember many of what was taught there, but do you remember overall sort of, you know, was it sort of quite a creative place? Did they sort of inspire your, you know, your your ability to to write, to act, or things? Do you remember doing much of that at school, or did that just come more from yourself?
1: Um, yeah, primary school was was good in that respect, I just remember I remember not being um too worried about about anything. um I think that's the difference with my daughter at school like this it seems to be more um maybe it's because of government sort of targets and stuff that that my my daughter has to do so much um sort of uh, uh, hit certain targets and have to do certain things and sort of phonetics and all this sort of stuff and and lots more homework. Like, I can't believe the amount of homework that, that young children are supposed to do. I didn't do any homework till my first year. I was, you know, 11, 12, I suppose, at secondary school. Up until then, there was no homework required. I remember when I getting my first bit of homework when I was 11 and going, what is, what's this? I was supposed to, I've done school. Um, and now it's considered pretty normal. And, and, and I, that was the most surprising thing for me, the difference. But, but when I was at primary school, um, yeah, I wasn't really worried about anything. I just went, oh, this is what you're supposed to do and learn it. And I was good at some things and not so good at others. But I do remember um, art being quite good. And, I, and I, I wasn't actually very good at drawing, but I miraculously won an art competition, like a, a county-wide art competition, because I, I painted this space station. Which was didn't require much. Uh, it was just sort of a, a scaffolding, you know, and a moon, and um, that was quite easy for me because I could do straight lines, and and um, I wasn't very good at drawing horses or anything like that. Uh, you know, that would have been a disaster. But but that was my one because uh, <laughs> I used to love art, but I actually wasn't that good at it. And then story wise, you know, was writing, which I always enjoyed, but. I don't remember ever really writing a story. Like, I, I'm a big, I wish they would teach kids how to write stories. Because um, um, the thing is fairly simple. And I think I think you feel a bit, um, you know, you feel a bit daunted by it, I think. Like, because kids love reading books and then no one teaches them how people actually um, come up with stories. And, and it seems like this otherworldly sort of thing. And, and it is quite sort of difficult. like. Um, but anyway, I, I, what I remember is not writing stories, is, is writing about what I did, you know. So we always had to write what we did at the weekend and what um, holidays, you know. I have to write exactly what happened. We got up, went to the pool, played in the pool, went, our parents uh, drank some wine, and then we went to bed, you know. <laughs> I used to think, <laughs> well, looking back now, I go, why spend all that time, I suppose write what you know and and then maybe it teaches you that, you know, just, but it's almost like diary writing that, isn't it? It's not really, um, so, so that's what I mainly remember. Um, and then drama wise, I, I did school plays at school, which is, which is great at primary school, just, just, um, the nativity, you know. Um, and then in secondary school, it was when I started doing drama as a sort of side project. I think there was an after-school club and I knew I enjoyed it. And then, I used, to, um, I used to do everything I could in terms of uh, getting involved with drama and doing plays and things. And I quite enjoyed sort of making people laugh. So I used to really look forward to it and, and um, had sort of no fear of it. I quite liked being in front of an audience. And, and um, uh, so, yeah, that, that came really in secondary school, I'm saying more than primary school. Primary school, was just, I just drifted along.
0: Yes, yes, it, sound, it does sound like that. It sounds like it was a very pleasant place to be, but it doesn't sound, in, in, it's, not in a bad way, but it doesn't sound like it was sort of particularly like had these moments of great wow, but it was more just sort of, oh yeah, I could do that, and yeah, if they want me to do that, I'll do that, that sounds all right.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah. It was, I was more interested in, you know, how many Valentine's Day letters I was going to get in my <laughs> little drawer, you know, <laughs> that, that was really what preoccupied me mostly, <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than the actual education I was supposed to be getting.
0: Well, then, I mean, if, if then we use that as a spur to go into secondary school, where I imagine that that does become more prevalent in the social scene of school, do you, and obviously the long bus journeys and things like that, I mean, did that all, did school become a bit more sort of dynamic then? I mean, you touched on homework as well. I imagine it started to become a bit more sort of, oh, crikey, I have this thing, more things to this place now.
1: Yeah, and um, I think I started finding things myself that I, I was very lucky I had a, um An English teacher, I mean, really, English was all I was interested in. Um, And uh, I had an English teacher called, um, I think she's called Miss Rushton. Um, And she really opened my eyes because she sort of said, up until that point, you got given books and you had to read them. And they were the set text and that was it. But she, I don't know whether she was allowed to, but she encouraged us just to find things that we liked. And um, I would go into my, I was lucky again to have an older brother who was into literature and stuff, and I'd go into his room and pick off, pick out things from the shelves. And like, I do remember Oscar Wilde, I I picked out, and I knew he was sort of a controversial figure for some reason, or he was naughty, or he'd been in prison, I think I'd heard. And so I thought, oh, he seems quite cool. And um, I got really into Oscar Wilde, and then Miss Rushton allowed me to do... Essays on Oscar Wilde rather than um, things like Shakespeare, and and I even remember saying to uh, saying in class, um, which is one of my vivid memories of secondary school, like I don't like Shakespeare, and uh, <laughs> and I remember saying that in another class, an English teacher, because I think we had two English teachers, uh, and um, and they said you that's ridiculous, you you're being ignorant because you. Because Shakespeare is our greatest poet, and all this, so I just don't understand what he's on about. And um, and uh, and she said, "Good for you, you know that that's okay." Good, I'm glad you've said that because it's and uh, because it is quite hard to understand. And of course, now I, you know, I realise I sort of still think that in a way. I realise Shakespeare is an amazing poet, and the way he puts words together is incredible. But it's not. It's not going to speak to a 12 year old immediately, is it, or even ever? So, so, um, I, I still don't know why I was so preoccupied with Shakespeare and putting on his plays endlessly. But, um, uh, <laughs> but I remember her saying, you do what, you know, allowing me to do Oscar Wilde. Um, and I used to then do, um, I think someone in the class, someone else in the class did, uh, like the lyrics of Bob Dylan. And somebody else was doing like Jack Kerouac and and um we were like, you know, thirteen, you know, at that point and, and um I thought she was like quite a rebellious teacher and just said I think she sort of said, Look, let the kids find their way and find out what they like and and um and we all thought she was great for that.
0: And from that then, I mean, you said that sort of did it sort of spark kind of ability to then sort of go and find other things and, and read other things more widely. I mean, that obviously, that must have helped as well a bit. I'm thinking like with the drama where the two things were able to sort of develop together and you could start having your own ideas and just picking things up. And, you know, when you're that age, and you sort of have these really great ideas that are actually complete rip offs of what you've been reading. But that's kind of half the point, isn't it? Just to have get ideas percolating. Is that fair? Did that happen?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think. Uh, um I think I once did a, a a poem that was supposed to be mine, and it was actually a sort of a ripoff of the Wits and Weddings. I think mm. Philip Larkin, and um, I think Miss Rushton pulled me up on it, and she went, "This sounds very similar to the Wits and Weddings." <laughs> and then instead of, I thought, I felt so sort of slightly humiliated. And then, but instead of sort of tearing me apart, she said, "Look, this is um, this is a good example. You know, it's it's." Uh, find things you like and and go off and make them your own. And, um, you know, because that's, what, that's sort of what artists do. They look for inspiration, they get inspiration, and they make original things. And, um, you know, and then I look at, you know, screenwriting from today. You know, Tarantino is such a magpie, you know. There's hardly anything original in his work, but what he does is create his own voice from lots of things that inspire him and um i'm sure you know shakespeare was the same. um and so that really yeah that propelled me onto um things i like started to like in comedy like vic and bob um the big night out started when i was i don't know 14 15 maybe and and um they would were, were from where i was from for a start like N- N- darlington and so they had my accent, you know, my accent's fairly now, but it was a bit more, you know, like, Pat, like, uh, how are you doing now? How are you doing, mate You know, and all that, Vic and Bob, you know, what's in the end stick, bit? And um, so we, I used to do uh, assemblies um, at school. We were allowed to sort of take over assemblies um, periodically. And uh, I would do uh, little plays with my friends they were just surrealist sort of ripoffs of Vic and Bob, you know. Um, and so that, that sort of mm, creativity, if you like, or like finding things that you like that was started with Miss Rushton and that sort of English class, and um, developed into doing live stuff and, and, um, and it was great that they gave us that sort of platform because it was a, um, there was still a bit of sort of uh I think it was still a sort of Church of England. I mean, there used to be assemblies and would have to sing hymns and stuff even at secondary school. Um but then there would there would be this space to do people could do readings or plays or little little or sing a song or something. So I'm quite grateful to that for, for I don't know whether that still happens now. I presume it does.
0: Hmm. Well, it's interesting. The way you told that was very similar to you know, Charlie Higson was on, and he said a similar thing about how he used to do very sort of derivative rip-offs of Monty Python type stuff at school, but he loved it. You know, and getting that laugh was like well, he lived for that, and and you know that sort of inspired him. And obviously, everything he went and went on to do. And you said you're the teacher there, sort of not just saying, "Oh, you, you've this is plagiarism, and I'm marking you down," but sort of saying, "Well, yeah, it was a little bit, but actually, that's the process. That's so important, isn't it? Those little sort of." When a teacher does that, when they sort of open your eyes to sort of to something, it's it, it can be a catalyst for so much that comes after.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm a big fan of Charlie Higson and and um I mean exactly, because he what what he did, did in his comedy um later in his life was nothing like uh, um Monty Python. <laughs> it's interesting, that he but but everyone, I think it's the same with musicians. You know, they start off playing songs from from um, musicians they like, you know, like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. It starts with that, and then they start to find their own voice. But you have to start in that place, I suppose. And that's interesting Charlie said that. I mean, I was lucky in that uh, the Vic and Bob weren't actually that well-known. They weren't, like, as big as Monty Python. Um, and they were doing quite quite avant-garde and they had quite a small show on Channel Four. So no one really knew what that I was ripping them off. Everyone thought I was it's just an original uh, you know, thinker and uh, came up with all these talking dogs and bizarre um <laughs> characters myself. Because no one was watching what I was watching, you know. So um whereas Charlie probably had everyone knew those that that uh uh <laughs> those sketches from monty python so he probably had to yeah. diverge into his own material a bit quicker than i did
0: well and obviously we're talking here about about the creative process in writing, and writing obviously it brings us nicely onto your new book which is out the warrior in my wardrobe with um, murder in the wild which is a great name and i believe this is, a, is this the second book in the series
1: it is yes the first one was called the wizard in my shed um the misadventures of Murder in the Wild. So yeah, Murder in the Wild is the is the is this wizard um uh from the Dark Ages. In the first book, he's he gets propelled forward in time and, and and uh strikes up a friendship with a with a young girl called Rose and she she helps him get back um to his time which is the Dark Ages. And then um uh and people seem to like it and it did very well and so so um and I, I wanted to do more with the character, and um, I sort of, with the second book, uh, Warrior in My Wardrobe, I reversed it. So um, quite early on, there's a, um, there's a, a sort of Rose's brother gets sort of kidnapped and taken back to the Dark Ages by an enemy of Merdin. So Merdin's back in the Dark Ages, but someone comes and gets her brother and, and texts him back. So Rose has to go. Back in time with her guinea pig Bubbles, who 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 was able to speak through through this pine cone spell, which allows him to allows you to hear his thoughts. So Rose and Bubbles go back in time. And, and so the second book is sort of a reverse of the first, in that Rose is the fish out of water, and in dark ages, uh England, you know, um, well, in Europe, because they have to travel across Europe. Um, so it was really nice to sort of do the reverse of that story and have Rose go to Merdin to time and Mer Merdyn be at home and and um I just enjoy writing for those for those characters and and um and trying to imagine what it was like in in the dark ages before you know houses and uh cars.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's, it's that's a great story. I mean, the synopsis there. I mean, that, that we're talking about again, like creativity. I mean, that's some wonderful ideas you've come up with I mean, the idea of like a, a pinecone spell to help a how much did you say, sorry? Or was it gerbil to talk? Guin- guinea, guinea pig. Guinea pig, sorry. Yeah, the, the third one, yeah. Um, and um, again, must have a lot of, lot of fun just sort of coming up with those sort of ideas and how, how do I get out of this scenario and how do I get the characters back together sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it, it is great fun, actually. It's, uh, it's strange because I, I um, when I was at school, I think I wanted to write, I wanted to, um, I liked performing, but I liked writing and I always sort of thought, I'd end up writing books because I I enjoyed reading and, and um I thought I'd write books and then I got into performing and writing for screen really and like TV and um film with the Paddington um films and and um and so this was really come, going back to I sort of had to learn a new skill, which is writing. Novels, which is what I wanted to do when I was at school, but never really learned to do it. And so, but it's actually not that much different, you know, it's all story. And, and, um, I enjoyed the difference with, you know, writing for film, you write the words and the descriptions of the scenes, but it's up to a director to, um, really put it all together. And then the actors are who the actors are. And, you know, but writing a book, you can fill all that in for the reader. So, so um, you can make the characters look how you want them to look and you can you can dress them like you want them to dress. And then the scenery is, you know, usually someone will say, you can't have, we don't have a dark ages. Everywhere's got houses. So we can't afford to CGI houses and, and uh, uh, cars and roads out. So you can't have the dark ages. <laughs> or you'd have to go to, you know, New Zealand or something. And we can't afford to go to New Zealand. But in a book, you can write it, and the reader sort of plays it in their head. So, you, so I would say, yeah, it's like it's like writing a um, a film that people can play in their heads, which is which is really. Um, I mean, it's great; it's liberating. So you don't have to. It's just you and 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 um, you know the pen or the computer as it is, and and you write it, and and um, and then it go straight into people's minds and you don't have to go via endless meetings about what, whether we can afford, um, you know, a flying, uh, uh, some flying horse or something. Yes. Uh, you should Which, just which you couldn't draw that. anyway,
0: if you were trying to describe what they wanted it to look no, like. So.
1: exactly. Yeah. Back to that. I couldn't, I could do a space station.
0: Yeah. Just don't put a horse uh, in the background. <laughs> yeah. No. But when you, when you're writing a book like this, so with, with the reader being children, again, I mean, do you get good feedback on what they want? Like, how do you know sort of that they can conjure it up? I mean, do you have, how does that all work? Because obviously it's a very different audience to writing for, well, I mean, I guess Paddington obviously was for children too, but a children's book is a very definitive thing for children, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think I just got used to, um, you know, I fell into, um, well, for a start, I always had a fairly childish sense of humour anyway. So I mean, if you look at Vic and Bob, which is why I said started me, there's nothing, you know, no one swears, no one in fact I show my daughters and Vic and Bob and they just hit each other with frying pans and she la she laughs and so so I was never sort of um either I didn't rely on uh, you know, profanities or uh, anything intellectual anyway for my comedy. And then I fell into horrible histories. Um and that 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 lovely gang that we had there, and then we did a show called Yonderland, and then Ghosts we do for BBC One, which is on about at eight thirty, but is really for kids as well, like maybe slightly more grown up kids, but but um. And and I just I just don't find it hard to um. I think to I just don't find it hard to sort of um bring kids in to to my humor i suppose and and and, I, and i've got used to it over the years so um um and and i've got i've got a 7 year old so that that makes it a, a tad easier Um,
0: yeah does she give critical feedback or do you read passages to her and say is that funny sort of things like that
1: <laughs> i have done, i did with the first book i haven't actually read the second book to her i've told her what what happens and she she approves of that um and, and the first book she would give me feedback. But annoyingly she preferred it she preferred it when I read she wouldn't let me read from the book. She said she wanted it from my brain. And so uh that meant that I'd tell her the story, but um just using my own words and sort of not <laughs> which makes it um which is interesting because it somebody said to me, another screenwriter said if you can't tell your story to your child um, before bedtime, then you, your story doesn't work. So, and what he means by that is even if it's a film, or like Paddington, you could go, and one day there was a bear in Peru and he, you know, um, dreamed of another life. So he went to London and he met a family and then the family took him in, but he wasn't sure that they were, you know. So, you, so you, you do it all in shorthand. And if they lose interest, then your story isn't working. And if they keep going to the end, and then you go, and then at the end, he gets east, he lives with the Brown and they live happily, the Browns and they live happily ever after. And then you go, all right, well, that, that might work. <laughs> so, um, it's quite a good test of whether your, whether, whether your story is working, even for an adult film.
0: Yes, I suppose it does it holds up the same, doesn't it? You could do like say like, yeah, like yeah. pulp fiction or something. But um very, Well exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once there was there was a bunch
1: of uh <laughs> Yeah.
0: And they were in a they were in a burger fast food joint, yeah. yeah. In a burger
1: joint. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, maybe pulp fiction, maybe he jumps around to him. Reservoir Dogs, you could probably do. There was a bunch of bad men. <laughs> and, and amongst them was a spy. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> let's not
0: do that. Well, before we move back to oh, well, firstly we should say so. The book, The Warrior in My Wardrobe, that's out on the 14th of October, which I think is the date this podcast goes live. And I suspect a lot of people will be looking out for it, given the Paddington 2 connection, which I don't really have a question here. I just wanted to say, like I'm sure many people have said to you, what a fantastic film Paddington 2 is. And my wife and I saw it in the cinema and absolutely loved it. And we recently had our our first um, child, baby girl. And we both say we can't wait to show her Paddington, particularly Paddington 2, which is just the most wonderfully constructed film and just like the final down to the final scene the payoff is so wonderful isn't it so yeah it's not a question just to say oh, loved great. it
1: <laughs> well that's nice and i hope that gives people confidence that, because sequels can be quite difficult mm. and they are often not as good as the first one but we did think pennington 2 was was a good effort at at uh, trying to at least trying to be as good as if not better than the first one so and i think with the uh, worry in my wardrobe i've tried to um tried to make it even better than the first one so so um hopefully that'll your your assessment there will give people confidence yeah i'm
0: sure i'm sure yeah like, so the, i mean I the first do. Paddington is is fantastic as well but the second one just just ele- just takes the character and then just elevates it doesn't it and Gives yeah. it such a great storyline as well. i think that's the, the plot of what he gets up to in the, the escapades it's just so sort of beguiling and just works so well and i say the story with his the, the pop-up book bit where his he imagines his um Great Aunt Lucy coming and walking around is again like that's like one of the director element of it coming together with the writing. It's such a lovely yeah.
1: film like that. Well, yes, Paul King is a superb director, and and he covers over the cracks in any of our any dodgy writing that we have. I mean, I don't have him on my books, but um uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but um it still stands. worry in my wardrobe will be, you know, hopefully as good as the first one, if if not better.
0: Well, that, that's that's great stuff. So it's out now. Um, Worry my wardrobe, definitely worth checking out. As a final school question, then, and I ask this to a lot of people who come on, and they, they usually get some good stories out of this. When you were at school, did you go on any memorable school trips? Whether that was memorable for the right reasons or maybe for the wrong reasons or anything like that that have happened?
1: Uh, I, oh, my school trips um, were always some of the, the worst experiences. Um, um, I can remember at school, <laughs> they, they were, they were always, I don't know whether it's my school, um, they were always to some windy, I remember we went to, um, a place called Brimham Rocks, and this is mm. no, this is no, um, uh, I hope I'm not going to insult anyone involved with Brimham Rocks. I mean, they are amazing. It's somewhere, it's somewhere in the Northeast and there's some rocks, they're not even in a circle. They just sort of lie on top of each other. And I imagine they're amazing. If, if I went now, I would be like, mm. "Wow!" Remember going there, and it rained. And th- this is my this is my not just Brimham Rocks. This is I think we went to a monastery, and we went to Hadrian's Wall. And this is they were all the same. And what I remember was cagoules. We had to take a cagoule and, yeah. and you had to buy a cagoule for these trips. And the reason you had to buy a cagoule was because <laughs> it was guaranteed to rain. I don't know how they knew this, the teachers. Like, you were never told to bring a sun hat, were you, to these <laughs> things? It was always, you had to pack a cagoule, a packed lunch. And it would always, all I remember was sort of rustling cagoules, huddling sort of in, in some under some rock um, and eating soggy sandwiches. And just going, I can't wait to get back on the bus. Mm. And that was every single school trip. I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember my friend Mackenzie Crook, who um, is a writer, and uh, I did, um, uh, I've done a couple of shows with him. But he used to do a character. He was a teacher, and uh, uh, they always used to go to a place called Windvale Moor, and he used to say. We are going to windmill, windmill Moor next week, it, where the wind is so strong and so cold, it will blind you. It will blind you immediately, and like uh, he, <laughs> and that always used to ring true with my school trips was wind, cold, soggy sandwiches, cagoules, and and this and going. I wish I was just back in the classroom. So I'm sorry you don't have any yeah. great stories. <laughs> About school trips. Well, no,
0: that, that's sort of yeah, that's that's people seem to go one or two. So people go, Oh, you were on these amazing trips, we went here and I learned so much. Other people say, like like Mira Sayal, they went to Belgium and they all got food poisoning and they were staying in this horrible dormitory, and they all just had the mass like crying and they all just wanted to go home. And that was her memory of school trips. And you know, similar to yours in the sense it was just sort of it was being back in school was preferable to yeah. being on a school trip.
1: hundred percent And I think I think there were more exotic trips, but um, well, for some reason I never went on them. Maybe it was because they were we, my parents couldn't afford them. Um, uh, there were better trips, and I'm sure someone went skiing once, um, but I think, as I say, that was supplementary, so not everyone could go on them, and I, I just got the really crappy, uh, windy ones. Um, I can't even think of a single good one. When it was always like a, we're going to see a Roman road, and then someone would come <laughs> and go. This is the straightest road in the world, and you go, "Yeah, well, it doesn't even have any bends in it. It's,
0: it's
1: <laughs> there's just nothing good about it at all."
0: Uh, Do you think? I mean, I mean, you're right. And, and when you're a child, some of those things that they're, they're not in any way fascinating. But put to an adult, it is, isn't it? You yeah, realise that like, oh, people built this thousands of years ago. That's it's, it's very hard.
1: Yeah, it really is, and it's um. And now I am, you know, I did horrible histories, and I find mm. I find history fascinating, um, but only because I understand it. And I think it's maybe, I think you're just too young, maybe, uh, and you're much interested in other things. Later on in life, you think you go, "Wow, that is incredible," and and I bet if I go back to Brimham Rocks, I'll go, "Wow." I'm going to look it up, actually, after this podcast.
0: Yeah, I think, think you'll go see back what, and
1: see yeah. what it is. I'll probably be amazed, but for a, a well, that, 12-year-old
0: now. That's the good thing, isn't it? You don't even need to go back. You can just look it up on an the internet and go, oh, actually, yeah, it's quite good now. Um, yeah. But actually, well, you yeah. have to travel all the way up there.
1: And also, you could read about it yourself mm. rather than have some sort of monotonal... Um, usually, there weren't that... You know, Brimham Rocks has been here. Since the year 1000 BC, it is thought that you just switch off and start whispering yeah. to your mate. Whereas, if you can just look it up, I mean, it is amazing, though. You know, you can just look it up and find out your own interesting things. you know, Brimham Rocks was once used as a lavatory by the Romans or some that, you know, and then you, you go, Well, that's yeah. interesting,
0: yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, they, well, there you go then. I mean, school trips, yeah, they, they seem to go one of two ways. And, and I should give a score tally of, of who ends up in the positive and who ends up in the negative, but we think we can put you in there. The, 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 well, negative sounds a bit harsh, but the, sort of, the, less, the less positive, shall we say. No,
1: it's not harsh at all. They were all very negative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm firmly Excellent. in that camp.
0: Okay, well, there we go. Firmly in the negative, Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Excellent. Well, well, I mean, it, wonderful to talk to you about school days, about the book. I so say that's how I'm now I'm sure a lot of teachers and, and parents of, you know, the right age children listen to this will want to check that out. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for, for everything. It's been very interesting to talk about.
1: Thank you very much, Dan. Really nice talking to you.